to Pretty Little Grown Men. I'm David Greenwald. And I am Dom Sinicola. We are live periscoping this podcast, so by the time you listen to it, it will have already been broadcast on the internet. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, for those of you watching on Periscope, thank you for being with us. Uh, we just watched Season 6, Episode 9, uh, which is called... Uh, Last Dance. Last Dance with Mary Jane. Last because Spencer doesn't smoke dance. anymore. Yeah. Um, and Toby's clean now, too. Yes, he is. So this was a really interesting episode. He was a lot of fun when he was stoned. He was great. I like. But I finally this, like this thing. episode. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I finally liked that. I think this is the first time that Spencer or the show in general ever used the phrase "stoned." Uh huh. Which I'm glad that they finally just just said it instead of instead of sort of tiptoeing around the fra- the phrasing right. of your typical marijuana the, user. Marijuana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Using yes. the pot, getting potted up. Yes. As, um, as Steve Ducey would say. But this episode also had like a funny and surreal sequence, which I think was even better and made more sense than mm. the stone sequence in the last episode. Which one? What are you referring to? The Drunk Mom Detective Society. Drunk Mom, yeah. I, I think that's a, as we were saying, better spinoff than Ravenswood. Yes. Drunk yes. Mom Detectives. Yes. Um, if you're listening at Norbuck, we would like to see the Drunk Mom Detective Society uh, on ABC Family in 2016. Yeah. That's uh, or or maybe like what's a better uh, what's a better network than ABC Family? Is is Lifetime? Is that too is that too obvious? Lifetime would run it. Yeah. I'm surprised they don't already run it. You know what? If UPN was still around, totally would have fit on UPN. Or the WB is the WB also dead? Yeah. Well, these, no. What's it? What is it now? Isn't it the CW? CW. That's right. Right. Yeah, the CW would run the Drug Mom Detective Society. I'm, it's it's really weird because the CW is is still alive and is still thriving. I think because it has exclusive rights to DC's shows. Oh right, Green Lantern and stuff like that. Yeah, whereas ABC, which is owned by Disney, has all of Marvel's shows. Oh, that makes sense. So you know, if you wanna wanna watch DC, you go to CW. Yes. If you wanna watch Marvel, you go to ABC. CW feels like more fringe. Like DC, you know what I heard recently is that DC. Uh, I don't know if this is official or anything, but um, you know, like Zack Snyder is kind of like the main dude at the helm right now for all of DC's properties. Like, <laughs> but he, yes. he is so. And I could talk forever about Zack Snyder, but he is so self-serious about everything. Nothing that he does has any sort of levity to it at all. Uh huh. Um, it almost feels like that's kind of like the DC, uh, like through line right now is it's just like, no, it's, everything is super serious. Everything is epic, dark, uh, you know, like sort of like the, the epitome of like the, the moral play, like the epitome of like the moral quandary for these epic superhuman characters. Sure. Great, Uh, great tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, this, uh, this, so, so back to Drunk Mom Detectives. So, this episode was kind of like a building to the finale episode, which is next week, um, where allegedly all will be revealed, and we've seen this long list on social media of all the checkboxes that are going to get ticked off next week. Um, I am excited about that. But this episode did a couple things that were interesting and surprising um the thing that wasn't surprising was we find out that clark is an undercover cop um as i predicted last week he was going to be a villain for about two seconds and Mm -hmm. then they were gonna be like oh no just kidding he's not actually a villain because that's too easy um and then i guess the him having having a gun was really was really surprising well that was a shocking that was really shocking i gasped He's in prom. We think he's a villainous character. And all of a sudden, he's got this gun in his holster. We're like, whoa! Yeah, which he was just covering up with his suit jacket. Right, right. Which was unbuttoned. Just like, you might see my gun here at prom. Not a big deal. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Is that a gun in your pocket? Are you happy to see me, Clark? Oh, no, that's a gun in my pocket. I'm an undercover police detective. Well, it shows you uh, when you're carrying a camera, people will look at the camera. Mm. So it's a way of, you know... Oh. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? 
like what a what a magician does. Misdirection. That was the word I was looking for. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So whenever you carry a, a camera around, does that mean that you could easily slip a gun into uh, any sort of show if you wanted to? I mean, I mean, presumably you could. Um, you don't get patted down. There's no metal detectors. No, I'm not. Man. I'm not um, advocating that anyone goes to do that. No, I, no. But uh, that's that's kind of concerning. Not that not that not that I would per- personally want to get patted down if I were to go on any sort of show, especially if I was like backstage and had such credentials. But at the same time, well, let's move along from the Clark? let's move along from the subject of potential gun violence uh, and re- return and return to, <laughs> yeah. to return to high school prom. Let's get back to prom. So the liars have been banned from prom. And actually, this was like the snappiest editing in Pretty Little Liars history. Mm -hmm. This opening scene where it bounces between each of the girls' homes as their moms are giving them the news. And I was like, whoa, this is like this very sharp, kinetic style that we've never seen on this show before. How come? This is like a pretty neat, punchy way to do the show. It reminded me of, uh, what's a show that does that a lot? Um, like maybe like an Arrested Development or like a Mr. Show mm-hmm. where half of the... Or, or Archer. Archer does that a ton. Sure. Uh, where you uh, one character will be having a, have a conversation with another character and they'll say something and... And then it pops to the next... And then you cut to the next scene and the, right. the character answers it, but it's part of a different conversation. Right. That happened a lot in this episode. Um, it felt... I, I liked it, but you, we've never seen that before. Right. It was sort of a weird tonal thing because it went off for like the first... Like five minutes of the episode, four or five minutes, mm-hmm. and then it sort of backed off and went back to standard Pretty Little Liars mode. Especially once we get to prom, and it's just like spooky, generic fantasy maze running type standard Pretty Little Liars set stuff. Um, I, w- I I would wonder who who directed this mm-hmm. because I mean, it felt it felt different than a lot of other episodes. Well, and the fact that all of the moms get together in this right, episode exactly. for the first time and have like a real conversation was really interesting. It just felt like they wanted to bring in the family element, especially the mom element, a lot more in this episode. I think in parts they could tie the moms to their girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end, when the moms are trapped down in this basement and they think they've seen Charles, they've seen um, Reese Matthews, who may or may not be Charles... And he's presumably locked them down in the basement. I don't think Reese Matthews is Charles. I guess we'll find out. Either Reece, if if Reese Matthews think, is Charles, is. if Reese Matthews is Charles, then A is not Charles. Hmm. But what if what if A is Charles is Reese, and Redcoat is the person in the no. hoodie at the end of the episode who Allison sees and says. <gasps> I mean, well, clearly not. It can't be her brother, right? Because she's shocked. She's shocked at how this person looks. So it must be Cece Drake or Mona or somebody else. Aren't there aren't there pictures, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's pictures circulating online. They're like preview pictures of like the season finale. Oh, I don't want to know. The half season finale? I don't want to know. But okay, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway. <sighs> well, it's on the internet. Yeah, so it's all not, right, it's not fine. A so it's not a secret. Uh, of Mona in a red coat. Oh. In a red cape. Okay, that's why I kept uh, hoping uh, or kept expecting her to 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 appear. Is because there are these pictures even before this episode. I mean, we're a little behind because it showed it was it aired last night. Yes, um, Tape, we're taping on a Wednesday. This is a Wednesday night, as you know if you're watching live. Watching this, <laughs> um, is there was pictures of of Mona in a red coat mm-hmm. and all the liars in there. Fancy dresses. Okay. Um, yeah, which that the whole situation I think is 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 really funny. Where they they decide to go to the prom, or they they see that Allison is at the prom, so they follow her to the prom. They don't really find any sort of uh, uh, obstacles getting into the prom. Uh-huh. The most that they get is some sort of like I don't know, like stereotypical shrewish shrewish uh, like. Admin lady. Admin lady, who uh, tells them that they need to leave. Her and her little friends need to leave. She says this to Spencer. And your little dog, too. Yeah. And then they uh, and then they just totally ignore her and stick around and keep dancing and shit. And then all of the 
uh, significant others of the liars just start showing up. Just at- like randomly showing up at prom. Oh, I just knew you would be here even though you were banned from prom. <laughs> yeah. I just figured you would be here. It's fine. Yeah. It's it whatever. Yeah, we were talking about this during the episode. This was, That was a real suspension of disbelief moment because it's totally unreasonable that any of them would have like figured out, oh, they must be a prom. Like clearly yeah. they must have just gone to prom. Like you just assume that they like went to the bar and they're like, oh shit, they aren't here. I guess we should probably go. And the drunk mom detective squad was like, oh. Yeah, meanwhile, the moms are like across the street or whatever, or next door yeah. in the basement. Yeah. Um, you know what I, uh, this is an observation I had that had, that is, doesn't really have any sort of weight on anything, but, um, I really, really liked the mom parts in this episode, and particularly because, you know, so often ancillary characters on the show are very one-dimensional. They just, they serve purposes, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think especially of, uh, just off the top of my head from this first half, the first half of season six is, um, uh, Spencer's old, uh, like, sort of AA sponsor, uh-huh. The guy who was like, I can't keep, you know, my hands. I, I want to kiss you so bad. Right. I just want to smooch your face, Spencer. And uh, then he's gone. Right. He serves no purpose. His his only function, you can imagine, is to sort of like, is like any other uh, character from season 5B that Spencer had like a, a brief sort of fling with is to provide her with an alternative to Toby. Right. And to really test her affection for Toby, right? Which um, she and she comes back to him in a really strong way in this episode, yeah. And says she wrote her valedictorian speech, which now she doesn't get to give because they're banned from commencement because their school sucks. I'd be so fucking pissed off if I spent two weeks writing a fucking speech, right? Right. Well, I don't understand how so any of them. She's crying. She's she's upset. I don't understand how any of them get to graduate, but I guess that's another suspension of disbelief situation. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe you do something. You get sort of like the system worked in your favor when you've been kidnapped for two weeks. And right, right. Undergo Somebody figured that out for you. experience. I mean, I can see like, I can see like Spencer because she's just like a, a really good student, you know. But what are the other liars? I wonder, I want to see the report cards of the other liars. I want to see what kind of grades are. Yeah, gets. yeah. I don't know. She gets an A in English. It's, it's a weird thing because we've seen like, some consideration of college and stuff like that, but it's come and gone because the priority has always shifted back to A mm. and dealing with just, like, not being brutally murdered and buried in your backyard. <laughs> that was one great moment of this episode when Allie walks in the backyard and you were like, I was like, oh, it's all coming back to that night yeah. two to three years ago in some weird timeline that we don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Allie runs off and goes to try to meet Charles, who has been texting her. Yeah. As Charles, not as A. Yeah, which X- is, X-O I think, Charles. I think that's important to note. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, who knows if that's actually Charles. Right, I mean, who knows what any of it means, but, you know, I think that was, it, I, it was something that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit uh, afraid of next week. It's an extended episode, I think. Okay, I don't know. Oh, no, I'm thinking of True Detective. Oh, okay. True Detective is also has its season finale next week. Oh, it's not done already? No. There's more? The, the penultimate Ooh. episode was this week. Ooh. I could talk about it. Uh, if you must. Phil and I were talking about it before I came over. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, so next week, uh, as, as Dave reminded me, um, after, after the finale next week, there's a five-year time jump, which is fucking insane. Well, that's what we've been told. That's the official word. So we'll see. You know, I don't like any of this early bird spoilery. I want to see what the show actually does. Because the show has this way of not actually following through on some of these things that seem very clear in the the spoiler phase and then end up not being true. Right. Um, Although, if... I mean, what's the point of, like, saying, like, there's a five-year time jump and then not having a five-year time jump? I mean, I'm sure there will be a time, a five-year time jump. No, I, you're right. You're right. They, that would be very foolish for them to be like, oh, yeah, this thing's going to happen, and then have it be like this huge twist right. where there's no time jump and, like, there's five A's or whatever. So Arya is going to L.A., uh, apparently on a photo... Internship. Pho- a pho- photographer inter- internship. 
Uh, Ezra's going to Thailand. Ezra's going to Thailand. To be with this Habitat for Humanity lady. Thank God. Thank God. Who's like if, an adult woman. If he doesn't fucking go to Thailand, I don't know what I'm going to do. Just keep watching the show, probably. Just well, complain, I mean... Just complain about it. In five it. years, their age difference won't be such a big deal, because Arya will be 23. Uh, he'll be over 30, and then... We all know that once you're over 30, you're just not... Yeah, no one, no one lusts after you anymore. No one wants you anymore. Arya's going to find much you're sexier u- boys. You're a useless man. Yeah. As we are. Um... So, uh, yeah, so uh, finally Arya and Fitz will be separated by an ocean, which will be great. Um, and then uh, Hannah and Caleb are going to move to New York. Right, and Caleb's going to pay her tuition because he's the perfect boyfriend. Right. I would love to see a spinoff. You know what? End Pretty Little Liars and just have a spinoff of each of their stories and have it sort of a different, uh, different kind of, like, show with different tropes uh-huh. so Arya so so what kind of show would Arya in LA be with her photo internship The Hills yeah like The Hills it would be The Hills or it could be like Devil Wears Prada <laughs> yeah and then she she earns the begrudging respect of her supervisor yes and she has but she has great ideas you know and she's just like a go get them Kind or of, kind of she's stifled because she's a true artist and she doesn't want to do this bullshit fashion photography. Yeah. Ah, yes. Hannah and, and so Caleb. she so she gets a bunch of tattoos and she moves out to Eagle Rock and starts her own photography movement. Well, and yeah, she goes on tour with some bands. What's Eagle Rock? Oh, it's just like a a new hipsterized area of LA oh, okay. where you move. It's where you move to when you can't afford to live in Echo Park anymore. Oh, okay. At Water Village? I guess that's the new... At Water Village is the new Eagle Rock. Oh, man. LA's just, like, in a blender right now. You know what? I uh, I feel like I have moved <clears throat> to the new potential hipster enclave of Portland. Uh-oh. Like, right on Gleason? Yeah. Because it is... Uh, it's, it's prime real estate for some sort of gentrified boom. Right. Um, and it's funny because I was, I was telling Rebecca... Uh, you know, you know that places are going to start getting gentrified right on Gleason because first of all, a uh, artisan pizza place opened up, uh, Gleason Street Pizza. Okay. Um, which you know, there's an artisan pizza place. Not even fucking a Pizza Shoals does this when they don't give you sl- individual slices. You can only get individual slices when you go for happy hour. <laughs> which what kind of fucking bullshit is that? So you have to order an entire pie. Yeah, either have to order an entire pie or go during happy hour. Uh-huh. They have a fucking bar there. Can you imagine going to the bar at a pizza place and not being able to order a slice of pizza? It seems very strange. What kind of fucking bullshit is that? It seems like some fussy, yuppie right. pizza bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know you know that a place is getting gentrified when a CrossFit opens up. That's true. Because you know what young white people love CrossFit. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. I don't know, man. I'm on. I'm on. Uh, well, I'm not really on anything right now, but I'm into the kettlebell thing. Kettlebells, yeah. Yeah, which I guess they use in CrossFit, but I do the. You know, I do what Pavel Two Lines has to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you don't need to go anywhere to do that. No, in the right in my house. Safety and comfort of your own home. You know, five minutes, ten minutes. That's good enough for me. Yeah, that's enough for me to be tired. Right. And the all the all the housing around where we live is reasonably affordable. Mm-hmm. You know, for I mean, now, I'll leave my words if that's not actually the case that the place just like sort of stagnates. But no. it's 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 enough of um, sort of like there's enough real estate there uh, that it's that it will change quickly. Well, I don't think any area of close Portland, to Montevilla too. I don't think any area of Portland is going to stagnate. I mean, it seemed like down around like 60th and Division was going to be a hot area, and then it seemed like. Uh, where you are is, but also like Coley, where some friends of ours just moved, which is a little bit further north, mm-hmm. um, sort of almost near where uh, Hillary works, but not all the way to like Alberta. Like yeah, I mean Decom's a whole other neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. I mean it seems like all these things. Everyone's like, no, it's this neighborhood. No, it's this neighborhood. So it just seems like to me, it'll be all of the above because so many people are moving here. Yeah, 
I mean, so many people are moving here, which yeah. is fine. So we, don't don't move here. I mean, we moved here. It's just <laughs> you know, it's just like be aware that it's not what the city was like two years ago or five years ago or eight years ago. I mean, like the, they should really do a Portlandia season where they examine the effects of Portlandia on Portland and like satirize the rising rent and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, I don't. I haven't watched the show in like two, three years, so I don't know if it's like been self-aware and dealt with like the changing reality of Portland, or if they're like still satirizing the same landscape as they were five years ago. But I think that that's like you know, dealing with the changing landscape of Portland would mean dealing with Portlandia in itself. Uh huh. You know, sort it's of true. this like reflection on itself, and they would have to satirize. They would have to play people watching the show that was about Portland and be like. Oh God! This show is presenting such a weird image of our city to the to the. I mean, it'd be a great skit, honestly, mm-hmm. for them to like take it super meta. You know, and it's weird because so I um, I am dating and living with a Portland native, and so last night I went to dinner with her parents, and um, I and her aunt and her cousin, all Portland natives, all lived in Portland their whole lives. Uh, Somehow Portlandia came up. I'm not really sure, uh, but they all hate Portlandia, and I've often run into Portland natives who hate Portlandia, and I feel like the people who say that they like Portlandia, and I, I'm kind of neutral about it. I haven't really watched it that much. Um, uh, the people who like seem to enjoy Portlandia are not Portland natives, um, and. I think that there's a real clear sign that Portlandia is is doing something to this city. Sure. Well, I think it's a lot of things. It's like Portlandia is was happening has been happening at the same time as like this huge GQ story about how Portland was the best food city in America and how also it was totally unsustainable because you have these super cheap prices and these food carts and this whole thing and what the story is sort of uh, theorized that things are going to get more expensive has absolutely been borne out by like the new restaurants on Division and so on, where it's like fifteen dollar pastas and so on. You know, it's yeah. like for every new restaurant that seems like quote unquote Portland affordable, eight dollar sandwich or ten dollar sandwich. You know, there's another one where it's like, oh man, this starts to look like an LA price for this Caesar salad. You know, I mean, we were in yeah. we were in Santa Barbara the other day, Hillary and I, and we went to this restaurant on the water and like. You know, not the fanciest restaurant in the world, but it's just, like, one of these restaurants that's everywhere in Southern California where, like, it's sort of fine dining. The food is, like, pretty good, but not to the level of what you think it will be. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, sixteen seventy five for a salad. Oh, my God. And it's just, like, why? Yeah. Why? And that's just, like, the baseline reality, though, for mm-hmm. someone who, like wants to go out for a decent dinner on a Friday night and lives in Santa Barbara. And in Portland, like, to see something like that would be shocking. But, of course, you know, more and more of these restaurants, suddenly brunch is $13. Suddenly, you know, the the price just keeps ticking up. Yeah, and it's it's strange, too, because I think we're in a really awkward position now in an awkward time where uh, the cost of living is, is skyrocketing in Portland, and yet... So I work for a company where the equivalent of my position in California, I know for a fact, gets paid probably more like like 10k more than I do per year. Sure. Um, and it's all based on cost of living. Um, and the person who has that position in San Francisco gets paid even more. Oh, of course. Um, but I don't feel like I'm being compensated for the rise in cost of living. Of living in of living in Portland because they're not catching right. on to how things in Portland are changing. Right. Well, it's like yeah, I mean because the if you get a cost of living raise, it's going to be based on some kind of national metric and not oh Portland rents went up like ten percent this year. That's crazy. I guess we'll give you this huge raise to mm-hmm. account for that. Like that's just not how it works. Yeah, unfortunately, because capitalism is a failed system. <laughs> the house that Rebecca and I are living in. Uh, I think that we could. I think that we could buy that house, and our mortgage would be less than our rent. I'm sure you're right. Yeah, of course, of course. Absolutely. I mean, if we were to rent out our house, we would rent it out for way more than the mortgage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Ah, man. Um, so uh, back to Drunk Mom Detective Squad. Well, did we? Did we? I think we kind of. There's a couple more things we should probably mention. Um, Lorenzo. 
has a heart to heart with Spencer about Allie, yeah. and she's like, "No, really, you should trust her. She's been through a lot." And it's the scene that kind of papers over any lingering doubt. We might have about Allie and like the two years of her just like running around doing who the fuck knows. Um, um, so that was like a you know like a, an emotionally like a character building scene. I felt like. Yeah. Do you think that? How do you feel about Allie? Are we are we pretty much convinced that Allie's like a good person and that Spencer is right on? Yes, okay. I'm convinced. I'm on the train. Okay. Yeah. Because she wasn't even being like she was being kind of sneaky, but when she was confronted, she was just perfectly honest about what she was doing yes yes um, i think she's a troubled young woman who understands what she's been through and she's trying to be better mm-hmm. that may change well and we may get five years from now Allie maybe have returned to her old ways which could be interesting too yeah i mean this time jump is it's crazy because you know like we were talking like the, this time jumping to finally being much closer in age to how old these act- actresses actually are right um, which is, which is good. Uh, but if there is a time jump, that means that this next episode has to resolve quite a bit. It does. It does. And I think it's going to, and I think you could see it in this episode where you have the setups of like, Arya gets this internship. Hannah's going to get her tuition paid for by her magical boyfriend. Like who works for the NSA. Right. Or whatever it is. But you know, I think it makes sense that they were starting to kind of, uh, tie up those threads in this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I have faith in the show. I, okay. I have faith is, in... Is Redcoat Mona or Cece Drake or some random third party? Well, conspicuously absent, which the show always has conspicuously absent characters, but Mona was so conspicuously absent from this episode. Yes. We should say... That on fake PLL Instagram, yeah, because you can swipe it, which is you can't do that shit in real life. The alternate universe of PLL technology. I wonder what the hashtag of their prom was. Right, right. That tied it all together. They're all just like searching for that hashtag. Right. How were they anyway? Suspension of disbelief. Um, we, right. We just assumed that they were like looking at like some sort of photo gallery or something. Right. So we know that um, Jenna was there. We know with that Lucas? with Lucas holding hands. And we also know uh, that Noel Khan was there. Did they mention Noel Khan? Yes, they did. He was there with some girl who was drunk. Oh, I'm glad that they're finally like just they're just like at least acknowledging these characters that they've abandoned for so long. Right. The last time we but saw Noel Khan, means... he was like fucking like creeping creeping around uh, the cabin, just like trying to get alley insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's been a total non-factor. Last time we saw Lucas, what was he doing? He was trying to grow a beard and... He was, like, trying to get out of Being town. a creep. He I was, like, he... trying to get out of being blackmailed or whatever. Yeah. Because he no longer agreed with Mona's plan of vengeance against Allie. Remember Sydney? Barely. The, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just another character thrown in to be confusing. <laughs> it's so, fine. I accept it. I'll well, how do you feel? Okay, it. so I think that... I th- there's something that bothers me about um, specifically a character that I've already mentioned. Uh, I don't remember his name. Doesn't fucking matter. Well, let me just, I just want to say the fact that those three characters are being marked as being at prom means any of them could be participants in what's going on. Mm. So I think that's like a good thing. It doesn't like it doesn't uh, make them innocent at all. No. It, if anything, it makes them more likely to be part of this whole situation. The liars didn't even mention Mona the whole time. Why didn't it, why didn't even like Hannah say like, "Oh, why isn't Mona coming to our prom or what's going right, on with Mona?" Right. Was she not banned from prom? Yeah, she's not mentioned at all. Yeah, she wasn't. Yeah, why wasn't she banned from prom? Right. She was captured. She too. would probably be the fucking valedictorian of the goddamn school. That's also true. Yeah. Her and what wasn't there a point when her and Spencer were like there, there was a legitimate plot point that her and Spencer were like gunning for valedictorian. They both had like the, they were both sort of competing for the highest. Well, they were GPA. both on, they were both on like the academic decathlon team or mm-hmm. whatever. So yeah, I mean that makes sense. And Andrew, we're just supposed to assume that that Andrew is just totally cool now. That he legitimately was a nice guy trying to help them, trying even to though them. he was super fucking creeping around. Right, and, like, Bluetoothing things and, like, clearly had been used by all these girls or several of these girls and, like, could have easily uh, felt vindictive toward them about it, you know? Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know. I think we're supposed to. a lot I of think, stretchiness. I think we're supposed to let these things go. I think that we're intended to let You're them right. go. Wait, let's and have encouraged a, let's, to do Let's so. have a moment of zen. Let's just have a moment of zen. Okay. I, I do. I, I need to interrupt our moment of zen in order <laughs> right. to bring up so stressed out. one character that I think sort of points directly to this tendency that the show has to use characters. And I think that even in, to use characters in ways that they're not even realizing they're using characters because, uh-huh. uh, this, uh, dude that Spencer, um, uh, re- like reconnected with at her, at her meeting after she realized that she was just getting too potted up all the time. Uh, I don't remember, even remember this guy's fucking name, whatever his name is, but basically just like, dropped out of the series once he confessed his feelings to Spencer, and Spencer, of course, had no, no idea what to do with it because she has a boyfriend, just dropped. Like, and it's like, functionally, you can see sort of a point for him, uh-huh. but at the same time, that point was already made multiple times. Right. So, literally a meaningless character. Well, yeah, I mean, I think at this point in the show, like, even making the... Um the photographer character, like this potential love interest for Arya, and then it turns out he's interested in her because he's an undercover cop. You know, it's just like, yes, let's just throw in a new character just to kind of keep things moving. And like that kind of stuff to me does pander a little bit to like the shipper audience of like, ooh, what could happen between these two characters? Yeah. You know? So you don't get into like season six gossip girl territory where literally every character on the show um any possible connection, like any anyone who could have slept together on that show, outside of like one or two who somehow never got around to it, happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's just it's an insane. It just became an insane mess by the end, you know, which is cool and interesting or whatever. But it also means like there's so much weird history, and it's easier to just bring in new characters and kind of keep the plot moving in this like slightly artificial way. But otherwise, you get stuck in the fishbowl of yeah. the possible ship connections. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I mean, luckily, PLL's way out of that is to just straight up kill people. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, well, I guess that's not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you want? Do you have anything to say about uh, more about what happened with Drunk Mom Detective Squad? I thought it was really cool that we saw them all hanging out and opening up, and they all find out the story of how Jason was um, Mr. Hastings' kid. Mm-hmm. And so that's now a revelation that everybody knows. It floats the idea that uh, Mr. DeLorenis could be a villainous character, that he could have buried his own wife. To me, it floats the idea also that Mr. Hastings could be a villainous character. You know, everyone has reason to hate each other in this situation. Also, motherfucking Reese Matthews shows up. He shows up in, in the house looking for, let's assume he's Charles, looking for his dad or looking for Allie. Right, presumably to like brutally murder them and finish the sit, finish off the the plot. If he was Charles, would he be so obvious? Like, I feel like would he be in it? Wouldn't he be in a hoodie? Yeah, or, or like, would he just show up? And no, just be like, hey, is... I'm Reese Matthews. I'm just showing up, sort of like at a at a weird hour. No, this uh, is the final dude. House. This is like the slasher movie final confrontation, where you find out who the villain is. And he said he traps his dad and his. Think of it this way: he's going to come in. He's going to trap his dad and his sister. Or just his dad, because he got his sister out of the house to go to prom. Yeah. And he's and he knows his backup, Mona or whoever, is gonna go deal with Allie, right? So he comes to go kill his dad. Mm. And he's gonna be like, Dad, you put me in the psych ward all this time. Now I'm going to murder you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like obviously his plan, right? And yeah. then he runs into the drunk mom detective agency, and meanwhile he's not there for some reason. Yeah. So weird turn of events that Again, A is not all-knowing and all-seeing. Yeah. I think that's what happened. I like that idea that, you know, and this is something we talked about, and it it starts to feel better now. Because I think that we spent so long trying to find a, a real motivation. Yes. And all this time, the clear motivation is that this person is just a psychopath. Well, and he's family. It's a family feud. It's right. this deep family secret. Mm-hmm. Which... I really love because slash like if you look at the show as a slasher movie as an extension of a slasher movie there's always some deep horrible thing in the past that is why these things these bad things happen and there's always that motive of like this horrible thing that was perpetuated mm-hmm. and so or perpetrated 
Um, and so that's this is this to me checks all those boxes. It feels natural. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a Deus Machina mm-hmm. so much. I mean, it's a new character, but it's a good one. I'm very happy with this idea of Charles. I think it's a really smart bit of writing. Um, not to pass up a great transition, uh, but Ex Machina, I, I watched it. I went and saw oh, it. Oh, you did. It's playing at the cheap theater now, so Hillary and I were going to go see it next week. It was. Um, but would you like to chat about it? Or talk about it? Well, I can. I mean, I I would like to get your feelings on it. Uh, but I, I can say one thing, which is that it's been a long time since I've seen a movie where I respected it very deeply, but I don't know if I really liked it very much. Uh-huh. Um, I can't I I can't even think of what I found wrong with it. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, it very clearly talks and discusses, and not in a, not in a pretentious way, and not in overly expositional way, um, ideas that I'm fascinated with, mm-hmm. I mean, that are fascinating in themselves, you know, sort of like the singularity and uh, what, like, w- w- how how you become who you are, mm-hmm. um, what kind of stimuli accumulate without your knowledge in order to create your personality. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, this is, yeah, that's a super fascinating idea to me because i don't know i get really obsessed with these sort of scientific self-awareness like studies of what the brain works like and things like that and i mean i don't know if this is in the movie but one idea that i was thinking about a year or two ago was this idea of like you were just the accumulation of your experiences and your genes and all these sort of decisions that you have made but does free will really exist if you're in a situation and you do whatever you do, I mean, you could do various things, right? But, like, based on the... Isn't your brain made up of all these varying... Based on, like, everything that's happened to you in your environment and your nurture mm-hmm. and your genetic whatever, like, aren't you just going to make one particular decision? Like, aren't you always going to make that based yeah. on... Like, how is how is free... Like, you, how do you operate outside of the sort of confines of all these factors that make your your brain what it is. I think that's, a, that's and that's a great thing to ponder. You know, I uh, here's a plug for another great podcast. Uh, it's called Science Versus, mm. and it's just this idea of just taking a very broad topic and just trying to just talking to scientists and basically saying like, is this true or is this is this major speculation? What what is the truth in this? And one of the episodes is the gay gene. The idea that uh, you are programmed to be gay, mm-hmm. and what science is telling us is it's it's a it's a mix of everything. Uh-huh. It's it's in your DNA, but it's also how you're raised, and it's not like your parents are raising you to be gay or raising you to be straight. These are things that are out of your control. Just it's who you are. As it's 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 the collection of human experience influencing you without your knowledge. Right. But it's also... Because your, your environment also triggers your genes, too. Yeah. I mean, you could be... You could have great genes, but then be in a situation where you don't do well in school because mm-hmm. of your... You know, you're in a low-income household or you don't have support at home or whatever it is. Yeah. And then those genes just get turned off or whatever, you know. Right. And so like that. that's kind of... And that's kind of what's discussed in this movie. And one of the... I was talking to Rebecca about this last night because she saw it, too. And... Um, at a different time, but she was, so the real basic premise is that, uh, Oscar Isaac plays, um, a billionaire, uh, sort of like a a Steve Jobs type character who creates, uh, the most used internet search, uh, search browser in the world. So like he creates, he basically creates Google. Sure. Um, and uh, he becomes a billionaire. He wrote. He wrote the. He wrote the code for Google when he was. Or it's called Blue Book in the movie. Uh-huh. He wrote the code for Blue Book. Blue Google. Yeah. When he was. Uh, when he was like twelve, and so he's this super genius. He's a billionaire. He basically like retires, sets up this like ultra compound out in the middle of fucking nowhere, mm-hmm. and lives there by himself, and like es- you do. Essentially, starts building an AI there, and. What he does is he, in order to build an AI brain, which it's not hardware, it's wetware, 
It's uh-huh. like, it's this uh, sort of like semi-organic gel that uh-huh. is essentially like, it's, it's, it's a malleable, malleable circuitry. Uh-huh. And what he does is, and this is kind of brilliant, and it's explained so easily and it makes perfect sense, is he basically uh, simultaneously hacks all of the cell phones in the world uh-huh. to gather knowledge of human interaction, human behavior, and uses all the information collected through his own uh, his own search browser, right. and he collects all that information, and that's how he creates yeah. a artificial artificial intelligence. Wow. And so uh, uh, he so he starts building these like these artificial intelligently driven androids, and he has different models of them, and <clears throat> he has basically his own personal like robot slave that's not that's like an early version of it's not artificially intelligent yeah it's just programmed to sort of like serve him and also be like his his like sex robot that he and so it's like this very fetishized uh asian woman uh-huh. and um and rebecca was like well isn't that kind of like doesn't that make you uncomfortable that it's like there's this like asian woman who is a very like very stere- stereotypically uh like subordinate and and I'm like, yeah, but that's the point. Like, that's his fantasy. Right. And, and then... It's, a, it's, a, it's presented as a critique. Yeah. And, and then uh, at one point in the movie... So then this other guy shows up, and he basically is told that he's going to conduct a Turing test with this... The, most late, the latest uh, model of this artificial intelligence, which right. is essentially the best model and could actually have artificial intelligence. Right. And it's his, it's his goal to conduct a Turing test to figure out if this actually is, uh, if it's artificial intelligence and, and it succeeds. And, and this robot is also very attractive. Uh-huh. And at one point, uh, Oscar Isaac's character, I'm not really giving much away, but he's like, the other, the other guy, I don't even know how to pronounce this actor's name, Dom, Dom Hall Gleason or something, um, he says, oh, you used my pornography profile, which essentially means he hacked into his search browser, pulled all of the information that he got from oh searching for pornography, wow. and created a, a, a robot based around what he would find most attractive. Ah, that's so crazy. Yeah, and, and, and so it's... It's really fucked up, and it makes perfect sense, and it's, and it's just so well done in this movie, and there are so many interesting conversations. It's a really beautiful movie. It's really aesthetically well done. Uh-huh. The 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 CGI is fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, it's such a well done movie, but there's something that is almost just like I, I there's something hard to connect with there and right. i almost feel like that's kind of like a success maybe on the movie's part because it's like you're you're watching this movie and you're really engaged but at the same time you're just like there's something that's like there's like this barrier of artificiality between feels, me and this movie it feels inhuman somehow yeah it's almost like you're conducting a turing test with this movie uh-huh. and um which maybe maybe is a success on the movie's part i yeah. don't know huh um and there are some really fun sequences. Like there's a sequence with uh, there's a scene with Oscar Isaac's character doing a really fun like a really funny dance with his Asian sex slave robot. Mm. Um, that's that's pretty great. Uh, but uh, I also think that the end of the movie is extremely predictable, but really pessimistic mm-hmm. and very realistic. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the movie. There are a lot of ways the movie could have ended, and I don't want to give it away, but there are a lot of ways the movie could have ended, could have ended but I think it ended the way that it needed to end, uh-huh. which is, which makes you think that we are pretty much fucked. As humans. As human beings. Because we are going to create artificial, artificial intelligence. And, yeah. and again, this isn't giving anything away, because this I think this is where you would arrive if you, if you thought about this, is... We have to create artificial intelligence. That will happen no matter what we do. You could have someone who's just like, listen, this is the worst idea in the world. Everyone needs to stop. Yeah. Trust me, this is going to be the end of us. And it will still happen. And it will destroy us. Because whatever we create... It's going to be smarter than us. It's going to be better than us. And yeah. it is going... And the logical conclu- conclusion of that is, is as the lesser life form... We are either going to destroy ourselves 
and then be sort of, um, and then the robots will live on, right. or the robots will realize that we're killing their environment and have to erase us in right. order to survive themselves. Right. And so it's 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 pretty much just like the 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 whole point of the movie is just like you want you actually there's you wonder who the villain of the movie is uh-huh. uh, because I don't think it's as obvious as people think it might be. Like you, you can kind of assume that Oscar Isaac is is the villain because he's so logical and he's kind of weird and he treats he treats his robots as robots mm-hmm. and that's kind of the point is like can you treat a robot that's that has a that has an artificial soul maybe right as a, still as a robot right but it's like who are the villains the villains in this movie are are humans because we're the ones that decided that that we should we we can create life therefore we should and yet we don't have the sort of the transcendental nature in order to coexist with our creations. Right. Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. So it's just it's a it's a it's kind of a depressing movie. Too, yeah. Because yeah. it's just sort of like it's it's it ends exactly how it should, and mm-hmm. I was very kind of disturbed by it, even though I saw it coming from a mile away. Right. That's my that's my. That's, that's a good recap. Talk. That's a good that's recap. That's my talking next mocking. I I have not seen anything interesting. Lately, well, you saw Sense Eight. We had someone else on Twitter who wanted to talk about Sense Eight. Oh yeah. Do you have anything to say? But I haven't watched it. I've done oh, it. so we finished it. it. Yeah. I can talk about it. You know, it's funny because I've seen a lot of people who really didn't like it or who think it's kind of a hot mess or whatever. Yeah. I think it's like the future of television. Do you think it's a hot mess in a good way? I think it's. There are parts of it which are corny or sort of very emotional or seems silly or whatever. I think, but I think that's on purpose. I think it's reflective of life. I think um, to make another sci-fi show where there's some secret organization doing some conspiracy bullshit, I mean, that's easy. That's Mm -hmm. boring. Um, What I love about Sense8 is that that element of it and the sci-fi element of it is super secondary to the emotional lives and the personal conflicts of these eight people. And it's all about how they're able to connect with each other and begin to understand each other across language and continents and gender and orientation and all these things. And that to me is just like, this is what science fiction should be doing. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the history of sci-fi and the progressiveness of sci-fi and you go back to like, you know, Star Trek in the 60s presenting this utopian idea of like people of all races being on this... Um, and genders being on this uh, spaceship together, mm. you know, and it was the first show to have like an interracial kiss on television. Um, to me, Sense Eight is like the the next level of that mm. um, because you have um, you know a, a trans woman who's in this lesbian relationship, you have a gay man uh, in a gay relationship, you have straight relationships, you have you know. It's just this incredibly diverse cast, and what's prioritized is their feelings. I mean, one of the big scenes is where they're all sort of synced up together mentally through this science fiction stuff, watching this fireworks show. And it's sort of this cheesy moment, in a way, of just like, I mean, it's just a few minutes of these people just like watching this thing, experiencing, just having this feeling. It doesn't further the plot. It's not really character growth. It's just like this beautiful moment. And it's like, that's enough. Mm. It's very human. And it's just this kind of, the show to me really excels at this depiction of raw humanity and human connection. And I think that's something, you know, as we live in a more and more global society, um, and yet we still have so much struggle to understand each other, I think that's a really incredible thing. Mm -hmm. And all the characters, I think, are great. And even the moments that seem a little predictable or cheesy, you know, I mean, I'm willing to deal with, like, these minor moments of imperfection to get to this larger thing of this, like, very emotion-forward, connection-forward, you know, very tolerant progressive TV show. When you say that it's the future of television, do you mean... Is that what you mean? That it's like... Yeah. I, well, I mean, in terms of like, you know, look at a movie like Fast and Furious, which was very successful in part because it has this multiracial cast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the future of TV has to be, lot, you know, a, 
a diverse future and a portrayal of what the world really looks like and what people are really like instead of just like, well, here's a bunch of straight white people yeah. or here's an action movie where it's just a bunch of white guys running around, you right. know? Um, and I think as the audience demographics change in America and as these things become, I mean, part of it is that Netflix is worldwide. And if they make a show that has elements in all these different parts of the world, well, you can now watch that show in Africa or in South Korea or wherever it is, you mm -hmm. know, and suddenly you have something to connect with in that show, in that episode. And I think it's just good for us as TV viewers to be watching something that's like, okay, here's something you can relate to. Here's a cop in Chicago, but here's all this other stuff. And here's yeah. a way for you to like learn about this global community that we live in. Yeah. And it's like super ambitious and I just think it's fantastic. Hmm. Okay. All right. I, did you, did you get any sort of, uh, did you get any sort of classic Wachowski messiness to it? I mean, I mean it's very, it's funny. Like Jupiter, it's, like we talked, we've already talked Jupiter descending to death, yeah, but, yeah. um, I mean, I just can't like, you can't erase that taste out of your mouth. Well, you know, the thing that is very Wachowski about it, um, and I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a character who is a, this telepathic type character, and it reminded me a lot of The Matrix, where you have um, the guy uh, who's able to, um, the agent whatever, who's able to like... Agent Smith? Yeah, who's able to pop, take over other bodies, right? And oh, pop yeah. into other mm -hmm. things. So there's like that element of it. There's sort of like little pieces of past Wachowski stuff in it. But as far as I uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's like on another level from anything they've done really since the first Matrix movie. Oh, to to me, the one real flaw that it has is that it's too many of the characters. Their problems are solved through violence. It's yeah. sort of like the easy way out of the show is to say, well, let's just have gunfire or murder or a fight and that's going to resolve this problem mm -hmm. and maybe that's just them being very like realistic and cynical yeah. um but it also feels like you know when you do this like with four or five different characters maybe there are some other ways for you to try to deal with the conflicts on the show right um so that i find a little bit problematic and un just un unadventurous mm -hmm. but everything else about the show i think is so effective and powerful mm -hmm. um that you know it's fine I'll, I'll live with that okay all right yeah i gotta watch that yeah i love it man i think it's fantastic and the end of the season is really satisfying and it leaves it open in a very cool way to move forward into the next season and um yeah, yeah it's been renewed for another season i don't know i mean this season works really well i think as a piece like it definitely is left as like okay there's more to be done yeah you know it's not a conclusion right but um, it's a great story, mm -hmm. just on its own. It's strange because I feel like the Wachowskis have battled, ever since The Matrix, and especially within the, Ma the Matrix trilogy itself, they've battled a long string of, re of like real negativ negativity amongst the reactions of people to their, to their work. Sure, you know? sure. Um, and I have yet to watch Speed Racer, and I've heard, I've heard people say that like, Speed Racer is is like such a such a weird thing that it's like it's good and yeah. that it's, it's 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 its own little strange thing um but you know with like uh what else have they done they did the matrix they did speed oh and cloud atlas like cloud yeah. atlas and jupiter ascending those two movies have basically just like everyone just shits on them constantly right um well this show like it's not about special effects yeah i mean it's very like it's basically set in present day mm -hmm. Um, it reminds me more of the X-Files than anything else. Uh, and to an extent lost. Yeah. Okay. And I, I guess what I'm getting at is it's strange cause it feels like they, they've like somehow carved out this part of, of the filmmaking industry for themselves where they can essentially do whatever they want regardless of consequence uh -huh. and they can continue to do that. So I would be, I would be surprised if Sensei doesn't get a second season. No, I'm sure it will. I mean, it's been interesting. I think a lot of, I mean, there has been, I was surprised when we watched it, I was like, this is phenomenal. This is so good. This is the best show since lost. Mm. You know, I just thought it was great, but there has been a lot of critique and a lot of people who weren't happy with it or whatever. Um, and I guess the sort of conspiracy theory stuff does seem kind of run of the mill, which is why I think it is sort of the second level of the show mm -hmm. 
under the more under the more interesting possibilities of like, okay, what if this was real? What if these eight people could connect? What would that be like? And that's really what the show is about more so than any of the plot things, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, that was like the mistake of Lost was the plot really was first. The characters were not first as far as my viewing of the show. But in Sense8, the plot really is secondary. The characters are first. That's really strange because isn't that what... Um, isn't that what... Uh, what the makers of Lost wanted you to think was that it's, it's it is character driven. It's not right. plot driven. It's character right. driven. Well, that's what they want. That's that's what they said, and that's what I think was the escape route for them. Um, <laughs> but I don't think it's the show they produced. Yeah, you know, I, agree. I I disagree. I think there was so much escalation and so many like Pretty Little Liars. I think it's fifty fifty mm -hmm. between the characters and the plot. Yeah, I thought Lost was really more 60-40, 70-30 where the plot became way more interesting than any of the characters. Oh, Although, yeah. characters in Lost are wonderful and are like a big part of the show. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of the characters in Pretty Little Liars, one thing that I want, wanted to say earlier is that I was struck by the characters of the, of the moms, uh, the, you know, the drunk mom detective agency, because it's the first time that you really got a, a real solid idea of their characters apart from... Um, their daughters. Right. And, and their dynamic together versus the dynamic of the liars. Right. And that's, and it's, and what's crazy is that, or not crazy, what's, what's interesting is um, you have two mothers who are very much like their daughters and two mothers who aren't. You have uh, uh, Spencer's mom, uh -huh. who is very much like Spencer. Right. In fact, like almost like Spencer on steroids, kind of. Right. Uh, then you have Arya's mom, who felt a lot like Arya, um, just kind of like a bit uh, a bit scared of what's going on, but like really trying to like show like a a uh, some courage, like a courageous face. Yeah, and some intelligence. Yeah, um, and then uh, but also even like the classic, the, like the cl a, a classic almost Arya type line. Or maybe a Hannah type line, which is when uh, Reese Matthews leaves the room and and uh, Arya's mom is like, "We just met Charles." Yeah, it's yeah. like, "Did you?" Yeah, you're just you're being just as sure as the liars are about right. who A is. Right. Um. And, but you know, but I also don't think that uh, Hannah's mom is. It's she doesn't she doesn't really feel very Hannah ish. Right. And I also don't think that Nia Peoples is very Emily-ish. I agree. Um, I think Emily takes more after her dad, and I think Hannah has been shaped a lot by her parents' divorce. Yeah. So I really like that idea that it's, you know, there's they're trying to set up a dynamic that resembles the liars, but in many ways it's not just sort of like a, a foil to the liars or, or just a, an aping of the liars. Right. Um, and I appreciated that. Right. You know? And, well, and also, it was just funny to have these characters, like, you know, pass around a bottle or two of Chardonnay and be like, we're going to go get the answers. Cabernet. And, yeah, Cabernet. Cabernet. Shout Cab out Cabernet and A. Yes, yes. I, bet, I don't know if you guys, we haven't looked at Twitter or anything, so I don't know <laughs> if you guys picked that up. Anyway. Yeah, but it, that could totally be, it could have been a little, nice little tribute yeah. from the writers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was just like... It was fu it's funny, but then you, they get in the basement and you're in this uh, very liarsy scenario, yeah. and they're realizing the gravity of like, wow, we had no idea what we were getting into. This is what our daughters have been dealing with this whole time. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, you know, and it's just been like them getting locked in a basement, like not really a big deal. So I thought that pulling was... the same boner moves that their daughters do, right? But I thought that was like a really effective way, a nice shortcut of them kind of being put in the same position and realizing like. Wow, this has been really messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I want to see a spinoff. I want to see so many spinoffs. I want it's I want Pretty Little Liars to end, and then they're just, and then ABC Family just have like a million spinoffs. Well, we might just get more Liars seasons. There was some talk that seven might not be the last season. It I know. could be eight or a movie or who knows what. Um, I think we should leave some gas in the tank for next week. Um, yeah, we'll we'll. We'll see what happens next week. Uh, I wish we'd looked at the name of the episode next week. Um, Isn't it face-to-face? 
Or is that just that Twitter? Oh, I bet you it's face to face. It's got to be face to face. Face to face. Capitalize. Well, uh, send us your theories at PLGM Podcast. Uh, Do you think it's Cece? I'm holding out for Cece. It may be Mona. Um, It could be anyone. It could be Ren. We don't know anything. Ren and his tiny surgeries. Um, So, yeah, you can can let us know. You can hashtag us. You can. We don't have a hashtag. I'm sorry. That was a mistake. Well, hashtag pretty little grown men. Yeah, I mean, PLGM. We kind of have a built, a built in hashtag. PLGM. Uh, you can star us on iTunes. And we've been getting really good download numbers lately. So thank you for sticking with us and um, hope we've been a productive part of your podcasting life. Yeah, thanks. Uh, um, and uh, did you talk about us on Twitter? Yes. I, oh, okay. Yes. I, I stopped paying attention. Yes. I'm on it. I'm on it, Tom. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time, star us on iTunes, bitches.